awesome to be with you today. Today we are continuing on in our series about praying for our kids as they head back to school. And it is late September and I'm still talking about heading back to school because I myself have headed back to school this year as a teacher, a full-time teaching, and I'm struggling to get time to do these podcasts. And so we are a little bit behind the game, but today we're going to talk about praying peace over our kids as they head into school each day. And I'm going to have a specific focus again on praying peace over our kids as they head into public school in particular. So this fall, I have been teaching in a third grade class in North Fargo, and it's in a neighborhood that struggles. There's definite struggles in this neighborhood. A lot of low-income families, kids with a great deal of struggle at home in many different ways. Of course, that's not definitive of all the kids that are in my class, but it is a high number. And I have been so very struck again by the absolute need for Christians to be involved in our public schools, to be invested into our public schools. There are so many children who come to school each day, and you can just see, I mean, my kids are third grade, so they are nine years old, eight years old. And they're coming to school and you can just see in them the wear and tear of the world. You can see it in their face. You can see it in like the the circles underneath their eyes that indicate to me that they didn't get a good night of sleep. You can see it in the fact that they are hungry and they aren't getting enough food at home. You can see it in the stories that they share about their weekends and the struggles within their family, the back and forth between parents. And uh, it just struggles, just struggles. I am just blown away and reminded constantly of the need for peace in their lives and the peace that they need from Jesus and me knowing full well that what they need and what they seek is in fact Jesus himself and the peace that only he can provide because these little children just have so much stress in their lives. I think a lot of them don't even realize how much stress they have. But when they can't focus on school, they can't think about their schoolwork, they are um, unable to focus on anything. I know that there is so much stress that is underlying all of that, that is just stirred up in their soul, and they might not realize it, but I can look at them and I can see all this turmoil within them. And of course, it's really hard for them to sit there and think about how to how to borrow and how to carry in two-digit addition and subtraction when they're worried about things like, what's for lunch? I'm so hungry. I was up all night. I didn't get a good night of sleep. I My parents can't afford to take me to the doctor. I don't have any clean clothes at home. I mean, just so many stressors on their plate. And So for me to ask them to focus on something just feels impossible to them. And so, you know, of course we work through it, but I'm just looking at them thinking they need the peace of God. Like there is there is one place for them to receive the peace that their heart seeks, and it's through Jesus. And if there is one thing that I can do for these kiddos every single day, Lord, let it be that they would experience some peace flowing out of me. And I I have to say, if you know me very well, you probably know that that is a stretch for me because I'm a pretty chaotic person. (laughs) And I'm not like 
calm and serene and I don't know that the peace of God is something that people experience from me, but I pray that it will be that it will grow in me, that that people would be able to increasingly experience the peace of God flowing out of me because it's so needed. It's so needed in the world. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would work through me and all my chaotic fly by the seat of my pants ways that I am. I pray that the Holy Spirit would like supersede all of that, go beyond all of that and let his peace flow out of me uh, because it is so desperately needed. And so we're going to look at different places in the scriptures today where Jesus himself promises peace and then some places in the New Testament um, after the resurrection of Christ where the writers of the New Testament letters are praying peace over one another. And we're going to talk just about how incredibly influential this peace of God must be. And then we're going to uh, look at a story in scripture that I think personifies the peace of God in a really remarkable way. So that is my plan for today. First of all, we just have to talk a little bit about the word peace because it is thrown around as this like frivolous, uh, fluffy clouds type of feeling. And that is not what I'm talking about. I don't want my kids in my school to have a frivolous, fluffy clouds, warm, cozy blanket feeling. Like when we talked about the power of God, I mentioned that sometimes I think that we think of God as like a teddy bear. And I love teddy bears. I love fluffy dogs. I love my big pit bull who lays on my lap. I love all that. But that is not the peace of God. That is not who God is. That is comfort, and comfort is very important. But when we're talking about the peace of God, we are talking about something that is actually an incredibly powerful, life-changing force. So I was trying to put words to this, and this is what I came up with for how I want to talk about the peace of God. Not as like a fluffy teddy bear that calms us, but rather God's peace is the pervading presence of God that quiets and stills our hearts in the midst of the chaos and trouble of this world. So right in the middle of the chaos and trouble of this world, we have a pervading presence of God that quiet and stills our hearts and protects our hearts from the worries and the stress and the anxieties of this world, like stands guard, the peace of God stands guard over our hearts and over our minds, bringing a blanket, a cover of quiet and calm in the very midst of the storm of this life within the midst of it. It makes me think of in Psalm 23, yes, he makes us lie down in green grasses and leads us by the calm waters, but also at the end of Psalm 23, it says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, like in the presence of the enemy forces around us, which we learned about when we talked about praying the armor of God over our kids. We learned that those enemy forces around us are not people. They are never people. They are the spiritual forces of evil in this world. That is the enemy force. And that in the midst of it, 
God is going to prepare a table for us, invite us to a banquet table in the midst of the enemies. So he is standing guard between us and the enemy forces, protecting us. That is what the peace of God does. And so we're going to talk about praying that peace over our kids. It's not about removing our kids from the presence of their enemies. It's about God standing guard in between our kids and the enemy forces, preparing a table for them, letting them feast on his love and goodness and mercy and grace in the midst of the enemies, making sure that they know that they can lie down in green grass, they can be led beside calm, still waters in the midst of the world that they're currently living in. That is what the peace of God does. It is the pervading presence of God in the midst of a chaotic and troublesome world. So that is what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at how Jesus promises this peace to us. So first and foremost, we're going to start with that promise from Jesus. We're going to go to John chapter 14 to get the promise from Jesus about his peace. In John chapter 14, Jesus is giving what is called his farewell discourse. It is kind of the beginning of the farewell discourse that is going to carry on for a few chapters. And he promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples. This is taking place right after the Last Supper and before they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. So that is when the farewell discourse occurs on the night before Jesus is crucified. And he has been promising them that that he is going to send them the Holy Spirit. And he says to them in chapter 14 of John, verse 26, he says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then in verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. All right, so Jesus tells them, first of all, that the Holy Spirit's going to come to you. He is the advocate. He is the helper. Helper. He is the counselor. In Greek, that word is paraclete, and it is translated. Uh, translated in all those different ways. The NIV says advocate, some translations helper, some translations counselor. It is the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He is going to come to you. Right after that, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So we can infer here that the peace that Jesus is leaving with us comes directly through the Holy Spirit. He was just talking about the Holy Spirit and then he goes right into peace. So the peace of God comes to us directly through the Holy Spirit. And this makes perfect sense because in Galatians chapter 5, when we get the fruit of the Spirit, peace is one of those fruit listed. And so the The peace of God comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And notice Jesus says, it is not like the world gives. So any other false kind of peace, like I was talking earlier about the teddy bear peace, the fluffy cloud peace, um, even just the presence of a comforting pet, that peace is not what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about a pervading presence of God 
through the Holy Spirit that will be different than anything the world has to offer. And then right after this, he gives this amazing command, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. That is a command. So in the midst of this chaotic world, we are commanded, don't let your heart be troubled. So as our kids go off to school, there are so many stressors at school. The schools are full of stress. Not just academic stress coming at them from teachers. And in fact, I would say that that is pretty low on the stressor, (laughs) on on the scale of stressors in school, especially as our kids get older. The stressors become far more emotional and social, just extreme emotional and social stress when our kids go to school. And yet we have with them, if they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they have the pervading peace of God that can stand guard over their hearts and their minds in the midst of the stressors surrounding them. So we can let them be assured that they have control over their hearts because the Holy Spirit is standing guard over it. Therefore, dear child, son, daughter, do not let your heart be troubled. It is within your capability to not let your heart be troubled. We often just think that our hearts get troubled and we get afraid and there's nothing we can do about it. But Jesus tells us, don't let your heart be troubled. The peace of God will in fact stand guard over your heart. Therefore, don't let your heart get troubled. Trust in the peace of God. Let the peace of God rule over your heart. Focus in, dial in to Jesus himself and don't let yourself get all riled up, all filled with anxiety over the things going on around you. Uh, then he goes on to say, I just want to read what Jesus says as he goes on because this is gives us great hope and it can help us understand how to not be afraid. Like, how do we not let our hearts be troubled Well, he gives us more. So in verse 28, he goes on and he says, You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Okay, just a quick note. That's a pretty controversial statement about what does Jesus mean when he says the Father is greater than I? Because within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are all different but equal. Uh, Most theologians agree that this is not Jesus saying that the Son is subordinate to the Father. Jesus is saying that in his human state, the Father is greater than Jesus the Son, while Jesus the Son is in his human state. And I would agree with that. Okay, now he goes on in verse 29. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. He has no hold over me. In the NET, it says he has no power over me. Isn't that beautiful? That is why we can, in fact, trust 
in the peace of God, we can choose to not let our hearts be troubled. And we as parents, as our kids are going out to public schools where there is pressures of every kind, we can make a decision to not let our hearts be troubled over it. Why? Because Satan, the prince of this world, has no power over Jesus. I love that sentence. The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. He has no power over me. The prince of this world, if he doesn't have any power over Jesus, he also has no power over our kids. He has no power over our kids because our kids are filled with the Holy Spirit. Our kids who are confessing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the ruler of this world, the prince of this world, Satan, has no power power over them. If your kid is a believer in Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit, it would do you well right now to say out loud, Satan has no hold over my kid. Say it with me. Satan has no hold over my kid. Say it out loud to Satan. Satan, you have no hold over my kid. I claim the peace of God over my child. I claim the peace of God That is not the way the world gives, but it is the peace of Jesus. I claim it over my child, over his and her heart and mind. I claim the peace of the Lord Jesus. And Satan, you have no hold over it. Claim it out loud in the mighty name of Jesus. Claim the peace of God, the pervading presence of God in the midst of the chaos and trouble of this world. All right, then in John 16, just a little bit later in the same farewell discourse, Jesus says to his disciples, very famous words, he says, I have told you these things, the the entire farewell discourse, which is in um, John 14, 15, 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So that is John 16, 33. And notice he says, in me you may have peace. It is only in Jesus that we have our peace. We do not have any peace without Jesus. We might have feelings of fluffy clouds and feelings of warm teddy bears and feelings of a cozy fire on a winter night. We have those feelings with or without Jesus. But true peace, real peace that pervades and sustains throughout the troubles of this world, that carries us through the troubles of this world, the peace of God that Satan has no hold over. That peace is only in Jesus. That is where we find our peace. And that is where our kids will find our peace. So as our kids are going to school and they are being pulled every direction for social and emotional well-being, like they're being pulled this way socially, they're being pulled this way emotionally, they're being pulled to agree with this or to say this or to go into this crowd or to act like this or to look like this. And then there's the academic pressure, which for a lot of our kids is also 
a really intense pressure academically, pressure to succeed, the pressure to not fail, the pressure to to achieve something, to measure up to a certain degree. The pressure is just intense on our kids, especially for our kids who aren't getting the support and the love and the care they need at home. It's a heartache for these kids. And the only place that they can get true peace is through Jesus. And so that's why my prayer is that the peace of God would flow out of me. Like that is what fruit does, right? Fruit grows on a tree for the benefit of those around who are walking past the tree. So would the fruit of the Spirit, namely in this case the peace of God, grow in me so much that it is a benefit to those who are around me? That is my prayer, that the peace of God would go out of me, that people would experience, that kids would experience the peace of God through me. I want to share with you what uh, I have alluded to this a few times so far in this podcast, but I want to read you the scripture it comes from. When I keep talking about the peace of God being uh, like a guard, guarding the our kids' and our hearts and minds, that comes from Philippians chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Philippi. He is in Rome, more than likely, almost for sure in Rome, uh, although there is some debate about whether he wrote this from Rome or from Ephesus, because um, we think he was in prison in Ephesus as well. When he was in prison, either way, whether it was in Rome or Ephesus or some people think Caesarea, either way, he was in prison and yet in the midst of prison, he had these amazing words to say about the peace of God. And he's writing to people in Philippi uh, and, you know, Roman persecution of Christians is picking up steam. We're probably, if he's in Rome right now, we're probably at about 62 AD and the the persecution of Christians is really going to amp up in the next couple of years in Rome. And so he's writing to the Philippians and they are starting to experience Christian persecution. And he says to them in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it doesn't make sense. The peace of God will stand guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So think of what a bodyguard does. A bodyguard protects the person that they are assigned to. The Holy Spirit is like a bodyguard, but for our heart and our mind. And his job is to, its job, the peace of God, is to stand guard, protecting our hearts and our minds from all of the things in this world that could and often do cause us anxiety and troubled hearts. He stands guard over us. 
That is what the peace of God does. And I love that Paul lets us know it doesn't make sense. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It makes sense that he would know this so well because he is writing from prison. Wherever he's in prison, I think he's in Rome. That is what I believe, but he could be somewhere else. But either way, his hands and his feet are in shackles. And he is speaking out loud his letters because his hands are not freed to write them. And he says, the peace of God doesn't make sense. He has experienced it. It doesn't make sense, friends. You can have peace in your heart in the worst of situations. And then here's something fascinating. Every single one of Paul's letters, all of them, I just went through them all today to make sure that I was teaching you something that is true, (laughs) every single one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, he begins by saying grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When he's writing to Timothy, he throws mercy in there, interestingly. to Tim- In his letters to Timothy, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So every single one of his letters, he prays grace and peace to the people he's writing to. And if we think about first century Christianity, this is remarkable because they were not living in a time when it was peaceful for them to know and believe and confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were living at a time when, much like brothers and sisters around the world today, their lives were at extreme risk for them confessing their faith in the Lord Jesus. And yet, in the midst of that, Paul prayed grace and peace for them because he knew full well, he knew by his own experience, that the peace of God was not dependent on their circumstances. Say that out loud with me. The peace of God is not dependent on your circumstances. The peace of God is the pervading presence of God that quiets, stills, and protects our hearts and minds in the midst of a chaotic and troublesome world. That is the peace of God. It is not dependent on our circumstances. So for every single letter he wrote to people in all these cities where they were undergoing all sorts of trials and persecutions, he prayed for them grace and peace to you. And then in several of his letters in Romans and 2 Corinthians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and then in Hebrews, which he did not write, um, but the writer of Hebrews also, they, they referred to God as the God of peace. May the God of peace protect your hearts. May the God of peace be with you. May the God of peace give you all joy and hope in believing. May the God of peace. So they call God the God of peace. And this isn't just Paul. Then I went through and I also looked at the letters of Peter and John and Jude. Peter also prays for the recipients of his letters. May grace and peace be yours in full measure. Peace be to all of you. May grace and peace be lavished on you. 
John did the same in his letters. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. In Revelation, he said, grace and peace be with us. And Jude says the same thing. So the writers of the New Testament, despite the circumstances around them, they are all praying the peace of God over the people to whom they are writing. Praying for the peace of God to cover over the people to whom they are writing. This is a lesson for me as a mother and as a neighborhood woman to pray the peace of God over my children. May the peace of God cover over you. May the grace and peace of God be with you in your spirit, soul, body. May the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. May the love and grace and peace of God be lavished on you, like Peter says. And it's also a lesson for me to pray that as, like I said, as a neighborhood woman, to pray it for my school buildings. May the peace of God cover over this building. May the peace of God pervade throughout this building. May the peace of God stand guard at these building doors, protecting every heart and every mind within this building. Peace of God, would you stand guard within this building? After Jesus resurrected from the dead, several times in the gospel accounts, when he appears to his disciples, the thing he says to them is, peace be with you, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, take note, this is not something he said prior to his resurrection on a regular basis. It was after his resurrection, in the times that he appeared to his disciples after his resurrection from the dead, he said to his disciples, peace be with you. That is fantastic because it is the peace of the resurrection. It is the resurrection that gives us peace because Satan has no hold over us. Jesus has defeated sin, death, and the devil, and nothing that comes against us can have power over us. So in that, we can have peace. We can have peace in the power of the resurrection. And prior to the resurrection, prior to the crucifixion, when Jesus was met with somebody who was filled with turmoil, for instance, the, the, woman who, the sinful woman who anointed his feet in Luke chapter 7, the hemorrhaging woman who came to him for healing in Mark chapter 5, in instances like that, those two in particular and others as well, when Jesus healed them, he said to them, go in peace. Because he had already given them power over sin, death, and the devil in those occurrences where he healed them, he restored them, he had given them power over the enemy. And in that power over the enemy, he said, go in peace. I gave you power over something that was standing against you. You have been victorious over it through me, in and through me. I've given you victory. Now, go in peace. Walk in peace because Satan has no hold over you. Satan has no hold over you. Go in peace. We have that promise through the resurrection. Go in peace. The last thing I want to share today is a story that I think really well personifies the peace of God. It's from Exodus. 
And as, as we're talking about the peace of God being the pervading presence of God that protects us in the midst of the enemy forces, I would like to share with you from Exodus chapter 14, one of the most wonderful, phenomenal things. <laughs> I, I just am blown away by this. So this is a well-known story. Uh, the people of Israel are, are escaping Egypt right now. They're being led out of Egypt by God himself. And Pharaoh had let them go after the 10th plague. He was like, fine, get out of here after the, the killing of the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh is devastated, tells the people to just go get out of Egypt. And so they are going. And of course, they are stopped at what is probably the Sea of Reeds, mostly called the Red Sea, but more accurately, probably the Sea of Reeds. And they are at a time of distress now because there's a body of water in front of them that they can't get across. And now Pharaoh has changed his mind and the Egyptian army is coming behind them. And the Israel, the Israelites, which is one to two million people at this point, a gigantic group of people, is caught in between a body of water they can't cross and the greatest, most powerful army on planet Earth at the time. And so they are devastated. And let's find out what happens. All right, we are going to start reading at Exodus 14, starting at verse 13. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I just love that. God is like, why are you standing here complaining? Move on. <laughs> Verse 16, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then, okay, this is Exodus chapter 14, 19. After you're done listening to this podcast, look up Exodus 14, 19. It's amazing. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt, Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. Did you catch it? I don't know when it was. It was sometime in the last couple of years when I was reading through Exodus, and I have, you know, this is the story of the ten plagues. I have been teaching this story since I was a camp counselor when I was 19 years old, maybe even before that because I taught Sunday school all through high school. I mean, I've been teaching the, the story of the 10 plagues for many, many, many years. And it was just in the last couple years when I was reading this and I was like, shut the front door. I think it was one of those moments when I just had to like slam my hand down on my Bible put my head in my other hand and just sit there for a moment because I had been missing something that was right there in front of me probably for three decades, maybe four decades. 
I was like, shut the front door because it wasn't just the pillar of cloud that moved behind the Israelites. It says in verse 19, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front of them and stood behind them. I knew that the pillar of cloud went behind the army of Israel to separate Israel from Egypt and so that Egypt was in darkness all night. So the pillar must have been one pillar. Uh, the theologians believe there was one pillar and on part of it, it was clouds. So the back half of it in this instance was clouds, uh, leaving a dark, dark cloud so that the Egyptians could not even see the Israelites. And then on the other half of the pillar was fire, so giving light to the front half, which would be the Israelites, if that makes sense. So the, the, the pillar is half fire and half cloud, giving darkness to the Egyptians and light to the Israelites. I knew that that went and stood between the armies. I knew that part, or between the Israelites and the Egyptian army, I should say. I did not know that verse 19 explained that the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel, went and stood behind them. And it's very clear that this angel of God is not the same thing as the pillar of cloud, because the next sentence says the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind. They are two separate entities. And in the Old Testament, when we see the phrase, the angel of God, that is a theophany or uh, it is the, the appearance of God the Son in pre-incarnate state. So pre-incarnate means before Jesus put on the flesh, before God the Son put on his fleshly body, we see God the Son in action in the scriptures coming down in his pre-incarnate state. We don't know exactly what state that took. There's many places in the Old Testament where it's clear he took the state of a very powerful angel and appeared as a, as a man, but in a very majestic form is what it normally seems like. But the angel of God is different than, than saying angels of the Lord. This is, this is the angel of God. This is Jesus in his pre-incarnate state, God the Son, pre-incarnate, is right there moving between Israel and the entire enemy force, standing guard between Israel, his people, and the entire enemy army, not letting the enemy get anywhere near the people of Israel. He stands guard. He puts himself right in between the enemy force and his beloved people. That is what Jesus does in Exodus chapter 14. And my dear friends, this is what the peace of God does. He comes and he stands right in between us and the enemy forces. God, the Son, Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit, goes to school with my kids, and he stands right between my kids and the enemy forces. He stands right around my kids' hearts and minds. He guards their hearts and minds and does not let the enemy forces have impact on my children's hearts and minds. 
This is what the peace of God does. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He stands guard. Paul tells us in Philippians that he stands guard over our hearts and our minds. And then we read Exodus and we see him standing guard between the people and the enemy forces. That is what the peace of God does. Let us pray it over our kids. Let us pray that the peace of God would be mighty in protection over our kids, would protect our kids' hearts and minds from the pressure that is pulling them, pushing them, surrounding them, tempting them, trying to make them succumb to its forces. Would the peace of God stand guard in protecting them? protecting their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Peace of God, would you protect our kids? God of peace, would you let your peace stand guard like a bodyguard around my child's heart and mind today? Let them be steadfast in you, Jesus. Let the peace of God be so real and so apparent in their lives that other people would look at it and say it doesn't even make sense that they have peace in the midst of the turmoil that is surrounding them. Let them have the peace of God in such a way that others would see it and say that is not the peace that the world gives. That is different. And God, would you draw other people to yourself because of the peace they see in my life and my kids' life today. I pray this in the mighty and powerful and peaceful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Have a great day, friends. Thanks for joining me. We will be here again, hopefully someday soon, talking about praying the love of God over our kids. Make it a great day. Bye. Bye.